Hey everybody, it's Jeremy, and welcome back to the latest episode of The Memory Fox. Uh, I had the absolute pleasure of sitting down with Mr. Eric Alper on today's episode. Um, Eric has worked in the music and public relations for many years. He currently hosts a show on Sirius XM Canada and is extremely knowledgeable when it comes to music. Um, he shares that knowledge a lot of times on his very famous uh, Twitter account, at that Eric Alpert, so I highly suggest you give him a follow there. Um, we talk about a lot of things, including who he's worked with and different things. It was great to listen to him kind of talk about the industry and what a typical day with his job would be. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation as much as I did, and uh, let's get into it. Make sure. And we're good. So I am here with um, Eric Alper. Is that, am I saying that right? Wait, is it ah? You are, Eric. All right, cool. All right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, look at you, Jeremy, off to a sparkling start. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, so I do this podcast where I like to talk about music and kind of life and everything. And we'll kind of get into, I, I, I've been following you for a while on Twitter. That's kind of where we came. I'm across. glad that you said on Twitter. Yes. In real life. Cause that's yes. actually happened when I was at the. Following you for like eight years and I'm like, or, and she's like, what's Twitter. <laughs> well, um, I always like to start the podcast off with a good joke like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no. So, I mean, I, I followed you on Twitter for a while and then I, I started to do some, some, uh, I guess we'll call it uh, snooping or, or internet stalking, if you will. And then really became fascinated kind of with, you know, you in general. And I was really glad that you were willing to come on with me. And I really appreciate it because uh, I, I know now kind of your background a little bit. And I want to kind of get into that a little bit because you are, are kind of, you know, basically living the uh the life career that i always wished i kind of was doing um oh. i mean let's let's highlight a few of your resume uh, things here you uh once worked in public relations or uh, music relations correct um you are currently working uh, are you running your own public relations firm right and you are currently a a host on the sirius xm canada and then of course oh. like i said a, a true uh Twitter God, as they like to say, and I know a lot of your Twitter or tweets uh, revolve around music and your love of it. And um, you know, to kind of start off, how did you get kind of involved working in the music industry and working with music yeah. relations and stuff? Yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Um, I tweet a lot. I talk a lot about music. Itch the media and industry and that's that's where my whole life is uh, is built around really that's awesome where when did you kind of know that you wanted to get started in that um my grandfather had a bar in toronto called grossman's tavern and it was one of the very first places that actually um with food and then he was one of the first people in canada to actually have a liquor license um and for decades um it was the place to be and go 
and play if you were a jazz musician or a blues musician. And it's right in downtown Toronto. So it's filled with university students all the time and older people. And it's great. And, you know, as a kid, um, I realized than just music. Music was a place. It was a community. It was a place about things that were happening in the world, you know, economy, what was going on. So, you know, in, you know, society and politically just by listening to the songs and talking to the musicians. So I knew I had an interest in it. Um, and when I saw a movie called American Hot Wax that mm -hmm. told the story of Alan Freed, who was a Cleveland, coined the term rock and roll. And he was one of the first people to um, to have rock and roll concerts. And the movie um, was like, a, it was like a kind of docudrama, but on the screen was the real life Chuck Berry and Jerry Lee Lewis. Mm -hmm. And I saw the movie when I was eight and it completely blew my mind. It was, um, it was like people who watch Star Wars for the first time and become sci-fi fans, mm -hmm. or people that I talk to who are musicians who see the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show back in the 60s, people like Tom Petty and the Eagles, and they look at the Beatles on that show and say, that looks really, really cool. That's what I wanna do. Um, me watching those two cats on the big screen did that for me. And, you know, I was always the kid in school that loved music. I couldn't play if my life depended on it. I stunk at every instrument possible. Um, but when I graduated university, I started a record label, then a booking agency, then a PR company. And really, I was smart enough to do that, but dumb enough to quit. Sure. And... Because all the times that I made no money and was broke and was poor and ate, you know, craft dinner and macaroni and cheese every single day. I loved it. It was it was the greatest life. And it still is. So I know I'm one of the lucky ones that I get to do what I've always, always wanted to do um, since the time I was seven, would just be around musicians and be around cool people who love talking about and sharing music. Um, but I'm not a I'm not a geek about it. Like I don't, like I don't have ten thousand dollar records here. You know, right. I, I I barely have a vinyl collection. Um, I got rid of all my CDs. I'm on Spotify nonstop. Sure. But I just I love what music can do in terms of the community, in terms of helping people, in terms of of surviving and making life bearable. And that's what I've been thinking about and doing since I was seven. That's amazing. And and that's one of the things. And now that... I'm 12. So it's great. So <laughs> it's not really that long. Yeah. Well, that's what I love. That's what I love about when you, a lot, a lot of times what I was, uh, you know, gauging from like your, your tweets and stuff. And when I started to read into it was that, you know, you really do have that love of music. And, and I, I feel that kinship kind of <clears throat> with you because you know, uh, kind of on the opposite end growing up, I didn't have a lot of money and I grew up sort of poor and everything. But the one thing I always had was um, a little boom box that played cassettes. Yeah. And then, and I had the radio stations and I, I kept that thing and took it everywhere with me. And as long as I had an outlet, I had something to look forward to and do. And, and, right, right. and at, at my age, 
it's the only true passion I ever had. I wish that somebody had um, kind of pushed me in the direction and told me that it could be a job and it could be a career and everything. Um, yeah, I find that a lot with musicians too, is and musicians, comedians, actors, actresses, painters, people in arts, when they when they grow up and they realize that they don't have a passion and they're not one degree of separation away from somebody in that world, it's completely like, how do you even do this? You right. know, like when you're a kid and a teenager and you find out about a George Carlin or an Eddie Murphy or um, Richard Pryor or Robin Williams, you look at them and, and you just enjoy them, not realizing that there are people who struggle to do this around right. the world and never make it. I never, I, I didn't have that thinking because when I was a teenager and I had a subscription to Billboard magazine, um, when I looked at the charts, whether you were number 100 or whether your name was in an article because you were a publisher who signed somebody to a record label, they were all foreign people to me. They were right. all like, how on earth do you do this? And although that my grandfather had a bar, he passed away in 1992. So I didn't really start anything until 1995. So I had a few connections, but really it was, I'm telling you, it was just the sheer stupidity thinking that I could do this. And I, I screwed up every single day for a long time. I, I still do, you know, um, but everything that I was doing, look, cause when I was first starting, I knew what everybody else charged for publicity services. I, I knew that they were charging like a thousand dollars a month, even back in the nineties. Um, and I was charging like a hundred dollars a month because I just wanted to work. I wanted to make my mistakes. I wanted to suck really badly. Sure. And the bands and the artists that I was with were so independent that they barely had a cassette tape out. Forget about a CD, that was like a dream. Um, but we all made our mistakes together. Sure. And I knew if I could stick this out for a couple of years and still love music and not be burnt out by it, I could survive this. And every day I still think like that, where, you know, nobody knows everything about the music industry. Nobody knows sure. the algorithms of a Facebook or Twitter or, or Spotify. The only thing that gets us all through the day is sharing, having a really cool story and being vibrant and energetic as an artist and trying to make yourself known without you know, getting all hyped up or lying or, you know, like, cause I grew up, you know, looking at the Sex Pistols and the Beatles and the Stones and the Who and hearing all these amazing stories of, you know, violence and anger and throwing TVs out the window. I've never had artists like that. Um, so for me, it was just trying to find that really good music always, but I was cheap enough and worked harder and worked longer hours than anybody else that I knew in the city. So as I kept going, the bands and the artists got bigger and better. And, and I guess I did too, to the point where, you know, I've been doing it now for 25, 26 years. 
but really it was it it i i felt the same way as you did it was like it's, think about all those people in small towns that are listening to the radio wondering who this dj is i mean even that blew my mind when i went to a studio really late at night because i met somebody at a bar and he had a talk show in the middle of the night and i invited myself to come down i was like i'd love to just see you he's like really like really yeah and i just i i marveled at what he was doing um and i loved it all because i just thought it was so cool even though that there might have been like five people listening right well and and you touched on something that is is really pertinent is is the beauty sometimes in life is the mistakes i mean i try to tell my children that all the time making the mistakes is how you learn and it's how you you get better at what you're doing and oh, sometimes and, and sometimes that's where the it, where you where you find the most out about yourself is when you're able to make those mistakes so that you hopefully don't repeat them or you learn something from them and uh oh totally it's everything you, you don't learn anything by doing something well right and all I'm, those months and years of stinking and really badly that's where you truly learn how to get to the next level. I mean, you get paid to do your job, but in the beginning, yeah, everybody starts from, from zero, right. zero. Ed Sheeran started busking to nobody. Tracy Chapman started busking. You know, the Beatles played in a club of four people and a goat, you right. know? So, right. you, know, you, 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 you know, but again, like as long as you keep going and you can survive, um, you know, you'll get there to wherever yeah. you think that you want to be. Well, I mean, Eddie Vedder was a server and surfing when, when, uh, you know, McCready reached out to him in California. So totally. who would have thought, you know, so, totally. um, so you have, you've probably worked with what I'm assuming is like a lot of the smaller bands and stuff. Um, what would you, who maybe would be, um, the most successful that you've kind of, you saw them or had them when they were first starting out and maybe now that they're more mainstream than they were at the start. Um, you know, I, I, I think for, I, I, I think for a lot of the artists that I've worked with, it's not necessarily that they started independent and kind of blew up from there. It's mostly say artists that might have been on a major label selling a couple of million copies of their album back in the early, back in the eighties and nineties and two thousands. And then they got dropped from the label still kept on recording and writing and releasing some really good music, but without that worldwide support. Um, and then I start to work with them and at least in Canada and parts of the U S um, you know, the ability to, to kind of tell people that they're still around and that they're still making vital music. Um, but, you know, like I, I think in the beginning, there's, there's always artists that I can look back on and say, wow, like that was, you know, like met them or worked with them when they were playing at a club um, early on and they kind of went on to, to bigger success. But I think a great majority of the artists that I'm working with, because it's so, it's so weird because, you know, when you, when you get to the level of that you're making money for yourself in the music industry, that's when everybody starts coming to you the managers right. start calling, the booking agents are calling, then the major labels come and then they have their own in-house people. And that's the beautiful thing that I love about, about being independent. But I think, you know, watching 
you know, working a label like Stones Throw Records out of out of California and in the hip hop world. And they ended up working with um, Jay Dilla and Madlib, um, two of probably the most influential beat makers and uh, and, and, you know, hip hop artists um, was a thrill. But by no means was it me. You know, mm-hmm. even with the Wiggles, when I first started working with the Wiggles, I'm so glad you mentioned them in small venues with like a handmade sign. And then the next time that they came around to Canada, like two years later, they had sold out, you know, 22,000 tickets for two shows. But it was really a worldwide thing. And that's that's one thing that mm-hmm. that I never lost sight of is like, especially now where if you're starting out, your competition is another artist from, say, Toronto or Iowa. Your competition are the Beatles and the Who and Janis right. Joplin and Madonna and Billie Eilish and Ariana Grande and The Weeknd and Bieber, because we're all going after the same eyes and ears as everybody else out there. Our competition as an artist is Netflix. Right. You know, anything that literally takes us away from listening to music is a competition. It's funny because the read the the president of Netflix once said, you know, when when he had a really fabulous year last year, somebody asked him like who he considers competition, and Reed said sleep. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like so perfect. Like that is his competition. Right. So it it truly is one of those situations where, you know, if you're an independent artist even if you're getting two or 3 million streams on Spotify, um, you might need a little bit more to attract the attention of a big label in the U S or in the UK. And then it's truly a team of hundreds of people around the world, all moving together to make a Billie Eilish happen or Lord or, or, you know, whoever it is. It's astounding how many things have to go right in music for something right. to break big. It is all about the song. The song is the driver right. in the car of everything, but you still need that great manager, that great publicist, that great booking agent, and that great record label to make the, that car go. That's yeah, no, I agree. And you just brought up like three questions. I was going to start. I'm glad you brought up the wiggles. Cause funny thing was my kids were in love with the wiggles growing up. When I was looking at the Wikipedia and kind of doing some research you've got this list of people that I've seen that you've worked with and what struck me is as great is that you've you've once worked with like Ringo Starr which I mean is a pinnacle when you're talking about a beetle yeah and then and then you've also worked with like the Wiggles and Sesame Street and that that variety to me is just so spectacular because you're not as a as a person uh, in the industry you're not settling yourself down with just one type of music or one type of artist i love the no, fact that you're that. so you're so yeah. um eclectic and you're willing to work with anybody in the in the industry it seems like so yeah there was there was a day where i worked ringo star in the morning guar in the afternoon <laughs> um and the and and the wiggles at night and That's it awesome. was a fun day um yeah you know i wanted I kind of just wanted to build my life, even when I was working at Koch and E1 and both, you know, at the time they were like the largest distributor of music in the Mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I didn't tie myself down to, oh, I only like folk, so I don't want to work metal. It was like, 
I love everything and I listen to everything. And that's why on Twitter, I'll never slam anybody because quite frankly, A, I never know who I'm going to work with. Um, sure. But B, it, it's music. It's like, why should anybody deny the right to kind of be heard and stuff? So um, yeah, I kind of secretly, quietly, without telling anybody, kind of loving the, you know, the the opportunity that I had at, at that company to work those artists um, and give me that variety. Because when sure. I first got the job at Koch, I, they asked me what I wanted in terms of pay. And I said, just give me one copy of everything that you're putting out. Because at the time they had Putumayo World Music, Smithsonian Folkways, Compass Records, which was a folk roots label, um, Relapse Records, which was metal, Hopeless Records, which was punk, um, Stone's Throw, um, you know, oh my, it, it's, it, it seemed like 150 different record labels at the time. Um, and I, and I felt like, oh my, I'm just going to spend all my paycheck on your company anyway. So it doesn't <laughs> matter. Um, but yeah, that, that kind of, uh, that, that allowed me to stay fresh and stay interested and to go outside my comfort zone because, especially even in business where some of the best ideas that people can come up with to bring back to their own business or their own industry is, is done outside of their own company. Meaning that, you know, I don't care if an artist doesn't like Taylor Swift, but go on her Instagram and see how she's posting and see what she's posting. It's mm -hmm. always things like, here's me with my squad. Here's me on a horse. Here's me making gift baskets for my fans by my album. Here's mm -hmm. me in the studio. Here's me with my lyric sheet and all that stuff is designed to bridge the gap and make those connections to her fan base, allowing her fans not only want to see her succeed, but will actually help her succeed. Mm -hmm. And so those ideas, if you are a metal act, you can't just look at the metal world for your next ideas or your next proposals or your next kind of initiatives. Because sometimes the folk people are doing something amazing without a lot of money or without a lot of wherewithal that you may be able to take a look at and say, oh, that's great. Maybe I can do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Well, no, that's exactly true. And you know, I've always said, I've, I've, country music is probably the one music that I tend to not listen to. It's not one of my favorites, but I never begrudge them, um, especially like on social media or anything, or even on this podcast, I, I can talk about it because as writers, even though it seems like sometimes they may not always, they always have the same, you know, the dog and my wife left me thing as writers are <laughs> actually really good. And if you really look into a lot of the lyrics, especially if you look into like somebody like say Garth Brooks or something like that, but then, yeah. but then, um, I, you know, just because it's not my cup of tea, I know it's other people's and I want to promote the music itself. And I want people yeah. to, um, enjoy it and and take it in because for me a lot of times music is therapy um yeah. and you know however you take it you know um it's always there for you it can always make you feel good it doesn't matter what it is or who it is like you said if it's guar if guar makes you feel good at the end of the day 
I want you to listen to it. I want people to be listening to and 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 taking in the things that make you feel good or make yeah. you feel the emotions that you're feeling for that day. So yeah, and and really, man, it's all the same things right across every single style of music. Right. Um, Kurt Vonnegut once said that there's really only seven story ideas in the world. You know, right. like man versus man, ver- man versus animal, man versus nature, and so forth. In songs, it's all the same too. Right. It, it's you, you know, Guar might not be your cup of tea, but Guar dressing up in the costumes mm-hmm. that they do is no different than Mick Jagger and Keith Richards going out on stage looking like the way they do. Mm-hmm. I get it. Guar looks a lot scarier, but at the end of it all, it's projecting an image that they want you to think about. And to realize that you are not them, right. <laughs> you know, like you will never be Mick Jagger, um, right. and Mick Jagger looks cool. Well, you don't think like the lead singer of Guar doesn't look cool? I mean, even if you think that he looks gross half right. the time, but it's just the same thing, you know. Right. Taylor Swift songs, even if you may not like her, whether as a person or as an artist, her songs are the exact same story ideas as the Ronettes. Right. As she loves you by the Beatles, you right. know, so I I tended, look, I'm not out at metal shows every single night as much as I used to, or I mean, I'm not out at, at shows, period. Sure. Um, but, but part of part of the love that I have of music and artists is trying to figure out why things happen the way that they are, at least in my head, mm-hmm. you know, and as a publicist. It's kind of my job to figure out the story in seven seconds, because that's really all the time that the other person at the other end of the email or pitch letter or phone call, that's, all, that's as much time as they're going to spend on something brand new. So you right. have to figure out ways to stand out. But the standing out part of it, like the police dressing up the way that they do and all having blonde hair with Sting and Stuart Copeland and Andy Summer, that mm-hmm. was an angle. That right. was just an angle. But their hairstyle and the way that we felt about the police or Alice in Chains or Pearl Jam or Nirvana right. literally walking up in the stage clothes or walking up on stage in the clothes that they wore literally to the venue right. is no different than Brian Ferry and, and, uh, and Brian Eno in Roxy Music. They right. look like that all the time they were right. suave and super cool when they were going down the street david bowie lived as ziggy stardust oh yeah you know yeah and so it, it it's all it's all the same so that's why i kind of don't understand when people hate on certain bands like i do i do i get it like but yeah. you know the the anger or arrogance i think that some people feel when it's just like well look you know Nickelback is an easy target, but Nickelback's <laughs> music and popularity was no different than Journey's back in the 70s. People hated Journey as much yeah. as they loved them. But now everybody's all like, oh, Journey, yeah, the best band in the world, you know, whatever, whatever. But that's that's what time does to people. But really, right. it, it all comes down to the same basic ideas with every artist and every group possible. Right. And I, the Nickelback thing always kills me because people are always like, I can't stand up. I'm like, look, A, I'm a fan, huge fan, seen them in concert twice. But B, you don't become the top rock selling album, selling millions of albums and, and streams if everybody hates you. 
they're not listening to you because they don't like you. People right, like right, them. They right, just don't want to admit right. it. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go one better. Who's forcing you to listen to this? Right. You know, like, like, right. like are, are, as far as I know, people aren't stopping other people in the street and shoving headphones on them. You don't like <laughs> it. There's the off button, you know? Right, no, and, exactly. and I see that even now with, you know, all the the flack that somebody like a Dave Chappelle is getting into mm -hmm. when it comes to LGBTQIA and mm -hmm. trans rights, especially, you know, you hit the button, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I get it that people want good things for the good of society, but like, quite frankly, it's like, ah, the, the world is big enough so that people don't have to worry about, you know, somebody hating on somebody. And that's why I, I, I never go, negative on social media i mean right. i just I, I i don't i don't understand and and i get goaded all the time in the comment section of like you know so posting about it. it's like no leave me alone i'm not yeah. here for you i'm, well, I'm here for it. my entertainment you know yeah exactly i mean you can unsubscribe you can switch you can not say Absolutely. anything at all exactly yeah yeah, yeah. that's what no, the follow button is there for that's what the on off button is for exactly exactly um i was thinking you just popped another question in my head and I'm going to lose it here. That's okay. Um, so one other thing I wanted to highlight is what would be a typical day for somebody in the music relations or public relations field? Um, like just a, a quick synopsis of what a typical day would be for somebody who might ever be interested in something like that. Yeah. Um, get up at, uh, well, for me, it's getting up at six in the morning and then setting up my whole day on social media for about an hour until seven. And then really it's just answering emails and doing pitches all day. So it's writing press releases on behalf of the artist, whether it's for the new single or video or album or tour date, um, formatting it, going back and forth with the artists and making sure that all of their points that they want to get across to the media and thus to the general public is, is accurate and, uh, and easy to understand. Um, and then sending it out to the media and following up. It is working um, on photo ideas for the artist, um, working on potential things like album covers or liner notes. Basically, the, the anything that needs to get done in terms of the general perception of what the artist um, is going to be working on, um, that's really where I have a little bit of a hand in. Um, so really... It my life, I think it might be a little bit different from other publicists. It's it's answering emails when I'm not writing um, all day long and all mm -hmm. night long. I work seven days a week, 18 hours a day um, because of the sheer amount of of not just clients that I have, but the. Um, the amount of responses that the pitches get on a regular basis because sure. some publicists in Canada only handle Canada. I kind of go, you know, really hard in Canada, but I can go and pitch the rest of the world because of the database that I have. So a lot of the times it's a lot of reading, a lot of writing um, and going back and forth with the record label or the artist and the management and the booking agent to make sure that, that all of the graphics are correct and, and the press releases are all ready to go. That's awesome. Do you ever find a point where it being in your position, you may have to like, let's say for the graphic art or something, if you look at something, being critical and, and, and them understanding where you're coming from, like um, giving sound advice or giving critical um, 
opinions on something maybe that you don't appreciate or don't like I mean is that how does that come naturally to you or is that is that something you've built up over time no, it terrifies me still yeah. to this day. Um, because I want to be friends with everybody, right? I want to be, right. you know, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I want to be the the mayor of Nothingville, right? Yeah. Like, you know, um, it's it's it all depends on what kind of an artist that you're working with. You know, if you have somebody, uh, I've worked with Andy Kim for 15 years now, so I can speak as free as my mind to him. Mm-hmm. Um, with somebody like a Randy Bachman or Buffy Saint Marie. Um, they know better. They know right. better. They've sold. They've sold the records. I'll be more than happy to tell them why I think maybe some things might not work, or or try it another way. But at the end of the day, really, I mean, they don't. Um, they certainly don't. I if if anything, the veteran older artists don't really need a whole lot of hand holding when it comes to what they want to do. A lot of the times it's just letting them know what the world is like, that Mm -hmm. maybe radio isn't the place for you anymore because it doesn't exist if you're over the age of like 35 sometimes. Maybe Mm -hmm. it is going on TikTok. Maybe it is going on social media. So a lot lot of that time I'm working with the artists on social media um, coming up with post ideas, coming up with really fun things so that it's a, it, it, you know, the album cycle or touring or taking them around town is, is great for, for everybody. That's, and, and that was going to be my next question too, is so social media is a big proponent now, I would assume. Um, how was kind of your transition of like promoting like say 20 years ago when social media wasn't such a big thing and kind of working your way into how it works now yeah a lot of a a lot of that traditional stuff is still there radio television print is still super important when it comes to promoting the artist there's still a lot of people who rely on radio to find you know their next great band that they are going to love um social media just allows that that communication i think between the artist and the uh, and 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 the viewer and the listener and the reader um, more than any other time in history. I mean, we never got to communicate with the superstar artists if you were a fan, but now you know you can tweet to them and get a get a response back from David Crosby if if you know if you hit the right message with the right time and he happens to be sitting in there. Sure. Um, so I, I find that stuff completely mind blowing as well. But I think on social media, it's really about being creative, um, coming up with ideas with, um, you know, on how to reveal your personality more something, you know, these are these, uh, you know, these fans don't just want, but they actually demand now what you're doing during the day away from the studio. And some artists don't, aren't really all that comfortable with it because they've grown up with that aura of mystery around them where you didn't know what you know your favorite artist's hairstyle looked like until somebody actually took a picture of it and posted in in a magazine but now if Billie Eilish doesn't post on Instagram on a Friday like rumors are that she's dead you you know like so it happens so fast but I think the ability to reveal a little bit behind the curtain on what it's like to be that person is is so important now because it's just, you know what are you reading what are you watching um 
you know, take pictures in the studio, taking pictures of the guitar. What kind of guitar are you using? Can you play that song acoustic? In an acoustic version, can you post the acapella so that people can listen to what it is? Um, so it takes a little bit of the mystery away. Um, but I think that the last couple of generation of music lovers aren't really interested in the mystery anymore. You sure. know, um, you know, some do, some don't. Yeah, I think if you're Jack White, it's okay for you to go away for like a year and then come back with like a, an album that's just going to blow people away um, and then be in the news every day because I, and, and I love him. So I think that, you know, for a fan, I think that's amazing. But for somebody like Adele to go away for like four years and all of a sudden she's coming back with a brand new album and she's omnipresent. Right. And um, so, you know, revealing about her divorce and really you know, revealing about her children and what life has been like in her thirties. Um, that's the kind of stuff that the fans want. And that's not, that's not always the things that you can get across in a interview that only maybe one tenth of 1% of your fan base is actually going to be able to read. So sure. social media is great for that aspect of it. Yeah. And I think that's where um, podcasts have become, why they've become so popular. Um, because especially long form ones where you can really get to see behind the curtains of some of these artists sometimes is really nice because yeah, I feel like social media on its bad parts is just out there judging and judging and judging. And sometimes you don't know the stories and like Adele, for example, you know, I hate the fact that people are commenting that she lost all this weight and blah, blah, blah. That's not what this is about. She's still writing good music. She's still a good artist. She's still the same person that you liked uh you know five or six years ago but she's gone yeah. through some shit and this is why she is where she is now that's yeah. the beauty in the in the in the art yeah. and, and again going back to what we were saying it's all about the connection right it's like and and using music as a healing tool and a, and a healing power so that your audience does feel connected that as an artist you can write a song in complete isolation away from everybody and put it out there and a hundred thousand people will sing that music back to you because right. they all have a hundred thousand different memories and meanings of their own to what that song means to them. That has nothing to do with the original intention of the artist. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. Are you, um, we're going to get some, some kind of, uh, um, fun questions. Are you, do you consider yourself more of like the lyricist? That's your, your jam. Or are you more of a, the beat and melody and that's what kind of gets you going what's your what's your preference when it comes to music me personally i'm i've become more of a lyricist person i like the stories and i like what they're saying yeah i used to be now i'm just about the beat and the melody i mean some of my favorite songs this year are are the most uh um unimportant things but sure. the way that they sing them um yeah i'm looking i i'm looking and listening for something that I could have in my head sure. for for days, really. Because I think yeah. that, especially now where there's so much music out there and we get so much music on a daily basis that I love to listen to it all, but sometimes it's just the reality is like some independent artists that send me stuff to add to the Spotify playlist. Sometimes I'll only listen to it for 30 seconds sure. in order to decide if I'm going to, listen to it more or not because if i don't have time to listen to that much stuff i can only imagine what the average person that doesn't get involved with music has time to listen to which is like seven seconds right 
which of course is why Spotify has their algorithm like it is. They yeah. they they are basically demanding that we listen to it all yeah. the way. Otherwise, they don't pay their artists. Got to stick but. the chorus in the first thirty seconds, or you're going to lose them. That's hard for an artist sometimes, though. I mean, there are some yeah. songs. I mean, if you think of like Metallica, I've always thought Metallica is the great. They have a great one to two minute opening, just yeah, um, uh, like non lyrical until James starts getting into it, and then you're like, oh, okay, here we go. You know, I mean, if you think of oh, like yeah. the first two minutes of one, an average person might be like, what am I listening to? But you're not going to enjoy it if you don't get to the end of that song. You know what I mean? So yeah it also depends on on who you are too and and where and where you are not in terms of geography but you know when that metallica album came out or you know um a seven minute bob dylan song you know uh, people saved to kick a bus or a subway or get a lift from their parents go downtown cross their fingers and hope that the album that they wanted was in the record store who only had X amount of space available sure. for X amount of, of copies of, of everything in the world that they could possibly get. Um, you bought it, took it home, opened it up and listened to it nonstop and read the liner notes, studied the back and the front until you saved up enough money and then you bought another record. Right. Um, so the ability for a band like Metallica to break big was almost because of the time that they were living in as well, where CDs, you can put 70 minutes worth of music on it. So we better, we better have 16 songs on an album or 11, but those 11 had better be great. Um, and that was the mentality. Now, if you're like a 15 year old and you're growing up in a world where you're not on Facebook because that's where your grandparents and parents are on. <laughs> right. You're not on Twitter because that's just a cesspool of hate and anger. Right. Um, you're on Instagram. You're on TikTok. You're on Spotify. You're growing up in an, in an environment where a four and a half minute song might feel like eternity to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And well, often and, does sometimes. And, and I know that I've seen studies where artists are being encouraged because of like Spotify and because of that and TikTok to try to shorten their songs again. And, and again, I, I know it's all a preference and, and, and your fan base is going to appreciate whatever it is. I mean, Tool, the reason they never went on to streaming services for so long is because, yeah, I mean, a Tool song is going to be seven to eight minutes long. They're not going to get anything out of it if somebody tunes in for the first one minute, you know? So it wasn't yeah, monetarily... Yeah. Um, a necessity for them you know yeah and, so and it's also it. bands like tool and acdc i mean forget about not getting any money or the money that they think that they deserve they never wanted to split up their albums right so they never wanted to give people the opportunity to only stream one song or mm -hmm. songs that have ordered they believe that the album was the album and shut up you know right. like like you're gonna listen to back in black over and over and over again in the order in which they intended right you know you can't listen to getting better by the beatles on sergeant pepper first i mean you right. can you can <laughs> but that's not the way that that those four guys intended you to listen to this record yeah i love the fact that we live in this age now where you know, i'm a big vinyl proponent i've gotten my girls into vinyl because i've always told yeah. them that people put these things together for a reason uh, song one is song one for a reason as as well as song 10 is where it is for a reason 
they're telling their own story in those sometimes. But it's also yeah. great to be able to go on Spotify and I just need to hear Tears for Fears and then boom, I'm just going to throw on, you know. Oh, absolutely. Fears. Oh, my. There's this is an amazing time we're living in for music. Look, man, for $10, I have access to 75 million songs. Yeah. A month. Yeah. It's wonderful. And you know yeah. what? I'm listening to it on okay speakers i don't have a ten thousand dollar stereo system sure like sure. i don't you know most people are you know my age for 30 years have been listening to music on little ipods yeah. or through, the, through a walkman with foam headphones like yeah. it's not the way that these artists are intended us to so yeah I, i'm i'm good with however people want to listen to music you know it's not it's not my job to tell people how to consume their music i just want them to consume it sure um, so do you have, um, uh, yeah. um, do you have a particular, um, favorite, uh, artist currently that you're listening to? And then I'll leave you with one last question, kind of sort yeah. of controversial. I, Who I might love... be your favorite Canadian artist? Okay. Um, I'm, I'm obsessing mm -hmm. right now over a band called Wet Leg. Um, heard him on KEXP in Seattle, freaked out the first time I heard their song. Um, I knew nothing about them. They're from the Isle of Wight. It is a four-piece group, um, two females, two males. They made the quirkiest video of a song called Chasse Lounge, which <laughs> is a chase lounge for English people. Yeah, yeah. Um, amazing uh got to do an interview with them for the show love them even more as people they just released a second single and they might be the greatest three minutes of pop and rock that i've heard in 30 years so great um still obsessed over a lot of things that i listen to talk talk genesis tears for fears sure. um but the canadian band um oh wow that's so hard because i'm going to offend every artist that i'm working with um the Canadian band, I think, or well, artists, you know, yeah, I, yeah. Um, I there's a there's a band called Sultans of String that yes. combined everything that I love about music. It's global music, formerly known as like world music, mm -hmm. um, but they don't go too inside baseball too much to kind of confuse the listener. Um, they have a sense of humor about them. They find the best guest artists around the world to collaborate with. It's just beautiful, beautiful music that if I want to be in a mode of not shutting off the world, including music, I would put them on and really listen to that that band because I know I'm going to get something new out of it. But, you know, like I'm 50, like I still listen to the same stuff I did 40 years ago. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. I really do. It's, it's, a uh, thanks for to, having me, Jeremy. Yeah. It's an honor to talk fun. to you and I'm really fascinated with the work that you're doing and I really appreciate it. If people want to reach out, I, I will definitely put some stuff in the show notes. Um, what's the best way to reach out at you and kind of find out what you're doing? Is that on your website? Is it on Twitter? Yeah, they can go to the website. Yeah. That ericalper.com. And it has the email and all my socials on there. And I read everything. I read all my mentions. I read all the emails and DMs. So yeah, so feel free to send me a note through there. Yeah, that's awesome. I really do appreciate your time. 
and uh, keep up the, the fun work. And it sounds to me like you really, truly enjoy your job. So even though it probably is a long day, it seems like at least you're doing something that you love, man. So and I'm, I'm jealous because I wish I could do that myself. <laughs> uh, you can do it. You can do it, man. You just you go outside and you just start working with people. Yeah. Go after restaurants, go after bars, go after nonprofit groups, go after businesses that need help. There's media everywhere. Yeah. You know, I'll help you. I'll help you get started. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, I'll hit you up Excellent. with that. All right. All right. Thanks. Thank Jeremy. you very much, man. Appreciate it. So I just want to say thanks again to Eric for your time. Um, I hope you all enjoyed this particular episode. As always, share and like on whatever podcast site you listen to. Um, for any comments, insight, or if you just want to reach out to me, you can always click the message link in the show notes. Um, who knows, maybe sometime I'll share it on a future episode. Um, as always, um, and as I mentioned last time, I do now have a podcast webpage. You can find that at podpage.com forward slash the hyphen memory hyphen vox or you can find it in the show notes as well. And until the next episode, I hope you guys all have a great week and peace out.